This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. My wife loves to go to Major League Baseball games with me so that she can watch and listen to people. At the end of the game, I'll say, wasn't that an amazing play by Yadier Molina, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals catcher? And she'll say, oh, I missed it. I was listening to Jennifer and Cindy talk about life in downtown Milwaukee. I'm saying, huh? Who are Jennifer and Cindy? Well, turns out they were the two people sitting behind my wife. And you missed Yadi's great tag play at the plate? Well, even though I tease her about this, I get it. I mean, let's face it, Dave, one of the most interesting parts of our fly fishing trips are the opportunities we have to meet and talk to some really interesting people. They make us laugh, they make us think, they make us learn, they make us cry. No, not really. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're, it's great. It's a great part of the experience. So recently, we spent five days in Bozeman, uh, Gardner, West Yellowstone, Montana. Uh, the fishing was good, but so were the conversations we had. Uh, here are some of the people we, we met and uh, some of the things that we learned from them. Uh, why don't we start with the guy at Sportsman's Warehouse in Bozeman. You remember him? I do. So the first thing that we always do when we head to Bozeman is pick up bear spray. Now, bear spray has a life to it, so I think it's every five years it expires. So And we keep our, our bear spray at uh, the, the, the friends where we stay and... Uh, I guess we didn't look at the expiration. I thought ours was close to expiring. It had another year, so. Yeah. So, yeah. but we went and decided to buy new bear spray because yeah. the last thing you want is you know your bear spray not to work because it right. was expired yeah. five years ago. <laughs> That's right. So we went into this place called the Sportsman's Warehouse in Bozeman. Yeah, it's just a chain. They're yeah, all over the and west. It's, yeah, and it's just your average. You know, there's nothing kind of unique about it. It's not like one of the fly shops there. We have a lot of branded stuff. It, they right. do have some branded clothing and different things there, but it's not, it's not, you wouldn't go there yep. other than it's on the way out of town. It's a warehouse. Yeah. yeah, it's a warehouse. So we went up to pick up bear spray and we met this guy who we were trying to figure out, okay, which of these nine possible bear sprays should we pick up? And he said, hey, I recommend this. And he started talking. And this guy went into this deep dive on bear spray. And he had just done a class on, on yeah, he teaches he teaches hunter safety. He teaches so hunter he safety, yeah. Gone over that with uh, the, the students in Hunter Ed, yeah. So he gave us you know, tips on how to practice with an expired canister. So one of the things you want to do which we never have done, <laughs> yeah. is to practice with an expired canister because the worst time to learn how to, you know, work the canisters when a bear's charging you. But he had all these different tips. One of the things he said, hey, if you're doing this with an expired can or a canister, he said, do it with a garbage can up your arm. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, yeah, put your hand all the way through the garbage can and actually shoot it with, in a sense, clenching it at the end with a garbage can. Yeah. Because why is you do not want he said to get any of that on you. He said it's a way for you to re take reverse the garbage bag, go over the canister, and then toss yeah, it out. That's so brilliant. It was. Yeah. You know what amazed me about that guy? It's so clear that he's not making a lot of money. No. At the I mean, sportsman he's, he's warehouse. He's a retail sales clerk, right? Yeah. He looked to be like our age, yeah. in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And and the lights were on. It, and yeah. The energy that he had and the expertise that he had. 
I was just impressed with that. Oh, I know, I know. And he reminded us, I, I remember this, but he reminded us, make sure that you're, you're shooting down, you're pointing down so that the cloud goes to the ground, uh, you know, in case that bear gets its nose down, you don't want it under, the, under that cloud, and just things like that. But you're, you're right, he was, he was so glad to help us. He was very knowledgeable. He wasn't, he wasn't pushy, but uh, uh, I thought, man, this, this is the ideal sales associate or whatever, whatever they're called now. Uh, you know, very, very helpful, and I, I, I was really impressed. I was too. It was, to me, it was inspirational because yeah. I think as you yeah. get older, men especially can become grumps. And I mean, my guess is that he had a different career at some point, and he was doing this because he had to. And yet, he came with his full game, right? And so, yeah, I just, I was so impressed with that. The other thing that I thought that was interesting was he talked about talking to the bears. Do you remember what yeah. he said? Yeah, he that's said if right. you come upon mm-hmm. a, a upon a bear, he said talk to the bear. And I, yeah, did you get why we we're talking to the bear? <laughs> I, I think, are supposed to talk yeah, to the bear. Yeah, I think part of it is just to uh, uh, just to calm the bear down, uh, just to help him realize you're not making any threatening movements. Of course, they're not going to understand your words, but even saying, "Hey, bear, we're not here to cause you any problem." Uh, uh, why don't you go that way? We're just going to back up here. Well, you know, it's not like the bear is, uh, is a, oh, great. I finally get to practice my English. Don't get to talk to too many humans. But just the uh, just what that does to your voice, it kind of calms you and may calm that bear. Yeah, it's probably more for you than for him. But it does alert you to the bear yeah. so that there's no more surprises. Right. Um, yeah, it was just an interesting idea. I just never heard of that before. It was. So another guy that we ran into was Richard Park of Park's Fly Shop and Gardener. I think I may have met him once, but there again, he is a legendary uh, fly fisher in the written uh, books. In, right, written books there in the Gardener area, and and it was kind of interesting. You know, we we went in, and I think I started blabbering, and he just kind of looked at me, and it was obvious this is a guy who's. Uh, you know, he's not the, the glad-handing, you know, No, he's schmoozer. not. He, <laughs> well, you said, well, you, you know, Steve is his, hey, are you the Richard Parks? <laughs> yeah. Are you the Richard Parks of the Parks Fly Shop? Was it when I asked him for his autograph <laughs> that he clammed up? No. But he was, yeah. Yeah, but he, he really warmed up to us. Just a, a very soft-spoken, quiet guy, <laughs> but, but a lot of wisdom. <laughs> At first, I thought he was like the sales prevention guy because he was yeah, like, yeah. he didn't like want to have a conversation, but yeah. he did. He really oh, warmed he was, up. It ended up being a really great, great conversation. Yeah, if you are ever, if you ever fly fish in the north part of Yellowstone, you've got to stop there. I mean, he, he just had so much wisdom. I mean, little things. He talked about how uh, he doesn't use egg patterns in the fall because the spawn, uh, when those rainbows run up the gardener when they're there, uh, this was not a good year for that. But typically, uh, when they're running up the gardener, they're not spawning. That doesn't happen until after the season. Which is uh, November I'm sorry, did 1st I say or rain, later. Did I say rainbows? Yeah, you did okay, say I rainbows. Meant, of course, I meant brown trout. Browns in the fall. Uh, but yeah, they, yeah, they're not spawning until after the season's over. So he said... So that's different from what yeah, the guy used with an last egg year. And we've caught them on egg patterns Tons of in egg there. patterns, yeah, for sure. But he likes, uh, you know, something... Uh, small stoneflies. Small nymph. But yeah, even his stoneflies that he's using are, are smaller than some of the patterns that, that I was using. And yeah, he pointed out too, he said, yeah, the gardener's more of a nymphing stream than a streamer stream. 
He said, you don't have that many places where you have the kind of structure uh, and, and then the deep holes that you have for nymphs. I mean, there's a few places, but it really is a, uh, really is a good nymphing place. And that actually is a good point to pause here because I think if you're a new fly fisher, you just assume you can either streamer fish or nymph fish. And, you know, and that's probably kind of true, but there are streams that have more structure to them and you can get on top of those. Yeah, rock- structure being, yeah, like a rock, a log jam. Something uh, that allows you to have a really deep, hole that you can toss a streamer and let it sink and then and strip it back and then there's some that just have more perfect like nymphing runs yeah just these nice long runs stretches yeah you know they may be three feet deep but they're not yeah they're not deep pools and that's what you have with the gardener and that was just an interesting observation he also talked about cutthroat trout on the yellowstone what did he say about that yeah how the sun doesn't seem to bother the cutthroat that that the Yellowstone in the park is always a good bet in a bright sunny day in the fall. I mean, other places aren't going to fish as well, but uh, those cuts will uh, either rise to something, or more typically, they'll they'll take a streamer. Well, and which makes the gar- which made the gardener so hard to fish this year because it was 55 degrees and bright sunny, like bright bright sunny. Yeah. Um, there was little cloud cover, even on the day that we, well, the final day we fished it, there was cloud cover and some rain. Yeah. There was a front moving in, but mm-hmm. it, the first few days we were out there was just full of sun and lots of sun on the water. Yeah. Yeah, there was another, uh, another fly shop uh, worker that we met. It was a young woman at Fins and Feathers in Bozeman. That's one of our uh, favorite fly shops. Uh, we know Toby, the owner. I think I bought the first fly rod that he ever sold back in uh, the early two thousand. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Boy, have they so come I, a long ways. I know. So an Orvis uh, nine foot six weight. It was a two piece. It's before. It was about two years before the four piece technology really uh, took off. And so, anyway, uh, I think this young lady's name was it Violet. I think was her name. Could I be. I can't remember now, but she was really helpful. I, I think what I appreciated was both her energy, but her know-how. I mean, she had guided in Alaska. And again, here's somebody you can tell who just loves the fly fish. And, you know, fly shop workers, they're not making a ton of money. They're, they're no, there because they're they love what they do. Yeah. You remember she had, the reason she had not gone back to Alaska, she had broke her back. Oh, that's right. Playing hockey. Yeah. yeah. And she had yeah. broke the back. It started to heal. And then she had guided up in Alaska for a summer, and it just didn't heal. And so she had to come back and actually take some time off so that the back could begin to heal again. Yeah. But one thing, and we'll talk about this other um, person we met that is, in a sense, a contra, in contradistinction to her. She was so helpful. She was knowledgeable. She had a modicum of humility, or I don't know if it's a humility, just the way she approached yeah. us, like really interested in what we needed. You were yeah. talking to her about some new waiters. and Right. And she, she was so helpful. I mean, she knew the technology, and she had recommendations. It's like, wow, this is impressive. She, she knew her... Uh, uh, she knew her, her inventory. Yeah, she it really was... Did. It, it was really wonderful. There's nothing quite so wonderful to walk into a fly shop and have somebody be truly, truly helpful and give yeah. you a really great experience. Right. Doesn't judge you, doesn't yeah. make you feel stupid, isn't trying to oversell you something. Yeah. I was totally impressed with her. And that's a good segue into this next one. There, there's another guy we met. 
uh, a not so helpful, I'm going to say condescending guy at an unnamed fly shop, a fly shop in the uh, greater Yellowstone uh, ecosystem that we frequent a lot. And, and yet this guy never met him before. He was working behind the cash register. So, so I walk in and yeah. the day before we had caught some, well, actually the heaviest fish I've ever caught on a fly rod. Um, I caught on an olive, um, yeah, olive serendipity. an olive yeah. serendipity, which is a caddis emerger. So I wanted and we to, weren't using them because oh, they're caddis on the water. It no, was just, we were using them as a was, dropper, right? Right. It was kind of a substitute for just just a general emerger pattern, right? Yeah. So especially when you uh, on when you're nymphing and you right at your swing, that's where I actually caught that big rainbow. Yeah. is that at the swing. Right that thing starts to rise, that mm -hmm. emerger starts to rise, and you often will get a strike. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, we caught some big fish the right. day before. So yep. I go into the fly shop and just said, hey, Steve, I said, let's stop here. I want to pick up some more olive serendipities because um, I only have one or two from the day before, and if we're going back yeah. to the Elster, maybe let's try that as, a, as, a, as our dropper. So I walk in and I just said, hey, do you have any um, olive serendipities? First words out of his mouth. The caddis hatch ended a month ago. <laughs> and duh and yeah. it, the way he said it was oh, so disparaging no. and it so was. it was such a put down yeah and and i just turned to him and said listen show me where your olive serendipities yeah. are i just <laughs> and he he had to get up behind the stool and behind where he was and, and show me yeah and we walked out there and didn't buy a thing didn't buy didn't buy yeah. an item from the fly shop. Yeah. But I, I thought this is what's wrong with the fly industry, right? Yeah, it's not man. you know, it's obviously the exception and not the rule, right. but this kind of arrogance oh, about fly fishing and what's working and what's not. Yeah. It makes younger fly fishers or not experienced fly fishers feel insecure when in fact there's nothing to feel insecure about. Yep. I just walked away thinking, all right, wonder what's wrong with that guy. There's there's something going on there. I hope, I hope he's not just that way all the time. It's like, there had been something going on. Why did he, yeah, why did he act so condescending? Well, the best thing what he could have done was say, hey, now the olive, you know, like the caddis, you know, the caddis hatch, you know, ended a month ago, but you're, you want this, what do you, you know, what are you thinking? What's in, yeah. then I would have told him the story, right. right? Right. It's like what we were using to catch, you know, these fall rainbows that actually yeah. spawn they're Hebgen Lake rainbows that, f that spawn in the fall, right? So Exactly. So I pulled you out of there before you could punch them. I was like, <laughs> I was so ripped, man. I, no. I don't know why. I just set me off. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's just to me. Ah. I know it. I know. Well, let's go back to a couple other good guys. So uh, we, we ended up in West Yellowstone for... Uh, uh, I think our next to last day, and we we stopped in at Blue Ribbon Flies. We actually uh, we actually had a guided trip. We we do this maybe uh, you know sometimes once a year or once every other year. We'll we'll go with the guide, and we've yeah for a long time I've wanted to fish that uh, um, yeah just the the runners that come up out of Hebgen Lake, and so uh, we stopped there to see our guide, and here was Craig Matthews who used to own the shop. Uh, great guy, he's 68, he's one of the deans of fly fishing. Uh, you, know, you think of, of that area, you think of Bob Jacklin and Bud Lilly. Well, Craig Matthews is right there. Uh, he had moved years ago from Grand Rapids to West Yellowstone to be the police chief 
And then he ended up buying this fly shop. Uh, he he actually started guiding for Greg Lilly out of Bud Lilly's fly shop. Oh, really? I think so who's the, Greg Lilly? Is that a brother? Greg Lilly is Bud, was Bud's son. His oh, Bud's son. son. Yeah. Okay. So that's how he got a start. And, uh, man, we just had a fascinating conversation with him. We talked a little bit about it in a previous podcast, but... Uh, he was just warm and funny and, and very knowledgeable, just like he held court, but without a without a hint of smugness or arrogance. And you know what? There, there's somebody who understands. Hey, when when customers come into the shop, you know what? If they I'm, want an experience. Yeah, and and if I give them experience, if I'm gracious to them and don't treat them, you know, like they're village idiots, that they're going to buy stuff. And and it was great. Had some fascinating conversations. We talked about. Well, one of the questions I think you asked, which is, is the reason for the lower elk population because of the wolves? Yeah, because he's a big hunter, too. Yeah, and he said, you know, wolves and elk actually coexist. He said he's seen elk chase wolves before. He yeah. said, yes, elk, you know, wolves are going to kill elk, but, you know, the weak ones, but they're not going to decimate yeah. the elk population. Right, and he's seen them together without any conflict. It's not like every time... You know, there's a, a wolf within sight of an elk that uh, the elk are on the run. Yeah. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. What, what did he say? What would, too, is that deal? We saw a game warden once trying to rescue this great big trout. Oh, yeah. So a, it was at the dam near Hebgen Lake, yeah, I think. Yeah. And it was late at night. And they didn't have the right net or something. And so this guy had this huge fish on. And... <laughs> What ended up happening when they pulled the fish out of the river or out of the dam right at the bottom, a, well, anyway, a game warden came by to help them. When yeah. they pulled it out, what came out of the mouth of the fish was an 18-inch rainbow. <laughs> oh, In other words, goodness. that fish was that much bigger than oh. the fish, and I guess it fell off right at the end. He said, there are some huge monsters in Hebgen Lake. Oh, I'm sure. Just sit in the I mean, think about that. that. A, a fish that's so big that it can yeah. envelop an 18-inch yep. rainbow. That's crazy. Oh, that had I to know. be a brown trout, don't uh, you yeah. think? Oh, I'm sure it was. The other thing that I thought was really interesting with Craig Matthews, remember that picture? There was a little picture, and it showed a brown trout with a ball of worms in its mouth. Yeah. So if you mm -hmm. ever wonder, and then the thing that was fun about that picture is they had a hook in there which was the san juan worm so you have yeah. this this picture of this yeah. fish with its mouth open this big brown with a literally a ball of earthworms just like you get out yeah. of your backyard and then they had put in there they hooked a little san juan worm in there so if you ever <laughs> wonder why you use the san juan worm you look yes. at that picture it was just a great little great little picture oh man it really was well then our guide from that day and we're going to talk about the actual uh, fishing experience in another podcast but uh, a guy named curtis a guy at blue ribbon and he was he was great very soft-spoken easygoing but uh, uh but very intense in his own way i mean he uh he had some great stories maybe, maybe we have time for just a couple of them well, one he told us is about the barn pools and fishing at the barn pools. And the barn pools are very famous uh, in the area. They're just inside the, the park. Yeah, and, Yellowstone National Park yep. near West Yellowstone. And you fished them before, right? You know, one day I, I pulled in there. I don't, I don't I can't remember if I took a quick run through them or not. But, yeah, they get fished so heavily. That it's like a steelhead run. And, and it's some of the same people that fish it year after year and so you get in and you're supposed to move you're supposed to move a couple steps with every cast and if you don't somebody will remind you and 
Yeah, it's, it's almost like you get in line to do this. So Curtis was telling me about a time when he was over there. He may have been guiding someone, but he overhears one of these old, not an old timer in terms of age, but somebody who was like an expert at the barn pools yeah. starts to mock a 14-year-old who was using a grasshopper. A grasshopper pattern. A grasshopper pattern, yeah, yeah yep. exactly. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and was like badgering him, yeah. like pestering him, and there was like he wasn't woman, doing it right. right. And there was a woman, uh, you know, seated there at a picnic table watching all of this. And So basically, Curtis, who was an ex-football player, yeah. <laughs> told the guy to shut up. <laughs> Yes. You just shut up. And right. Then, with with some other salty language yes. mixed in there to, to make yeah, his was, point. Yeah, it was just not yeah. shut up. It was shut the, right. you know what up. So, yep. um, but anyway, come to find out the woman who was sitting there was this, was the grandmother of this 14-year-old. And she thanked him. Yeah, Remember she turned that? and said, you know, thank you so much. This is like his first time out yeah, or something it's, it's like his, that. My grandson has dreamed of fly fishing in Yellowstone. You know, thanks for uh, sticking up for him. So, this is the problem. Oh, like this man, arrogance no. and this, oh my. Yeah. It's like, why does this exist in our space? But anyway, yeah. it was a great story about somebody coming to the rescue of this 14-year-old yeah. boy. By the way, the thing that I remember from Curtis, he told me when we started to fish that day that just recently he came out on the Madison and he saw a steaming pile of throw up that a bear grizzly, grizzly bear vomit had yeah. just vomited yep. up yeah and i guess his dog went over there and you know how dogs are oh, so yes. Uh, yes that's right but i asked i said so how you said you fly fished here for 20 25 years and you've guided he guides both hunters and fly fishers and he said that he's come upon bears probably about 30 times yeah he's come upon yeah. grizzly bears i said so how many times have you used your bear spray because he's carrying bear spray he said never I've never used. Yeah. I've never used. I've never had to use my bear spray. Yeah, that's something. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, really wow. is. And then those fly fishers last year in Yellowstone, the same week we were out there in the Lamar Valley, got yeah mauled. Uh -huh. Go figure. Right. I, I know. This guy's, you, I don't know. You never know. Yeah, it's you random. Never know. Yeah, Curtis was a good friend too of Ryan Leaf. Remember Ryan? He was a second. Uh, pick in the NFL draft behind Peyton Manning. They were both quarterbacks. Uh, Ryan grew up in Great Falls, Montana, played for Washington State, but they, they met in high school, I think at a basketball camp. And uh, sometime, if, if you haven't watched the uh, ESPN special on Ryan Leaf, it's the... Is, is it 30 it the, for 30 or is it the 60? I think it's the E60. Okay. Yeah, but uh, Curtis said he was the one guy in Ryan's life who would tell him no. And uh, Ryan ended up in prison. Yeah, he did. Very, very tragic story. Thankfully, he's he's turned some things around. But uh, yeah, it, just a reminder: you, you never know who you're going to meet when you when you talk to people in a fly shop, whether they're guides or customers or owners or workers. A uh, lot of interesting conversations, and we we really enjoyed that. Well, I think the big thing is is so many people are not curious about other people. And yeah. I think if you want to hear great stories, you've got to learn to ask people and be curious about something. So, yeah. you know, when he told me about that steaming pile of grizzly, the question was, well, how many times have you seen a grizzly when you've been out hunting? Yeah. He also talked about um, calling in wolves while he's been trying to call in elk. Yeah. So he said yeah. wolves actually come in because they think they're coming up on an elk. Yeah. So the guy has experienced a ton of stuff. But, man, I just think the interesting people are interesting because you've asked them a question yeah. and you start to learn about some really amazing things. Yep, absolutely. 
Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from David. He's a faithful listener, and he offered this about our piece on setting the hook for nymph fishing. He said, I'm probably not the best person to give advice on how to set the hook when nymph fishing, but I'll say the slow lift method worked for me. Early in the season, that is a bit hard for me to do. I usually get too excited when I feel the hit and pull back too fast and hard breaking my tippet. As the season goes on, I learn to correct my mistake and control my excitement. What was that? So what was the point in that article that you made? It was about I, setting the hook when nymph fishing? Yeah, I mean, the point was in, instead of pulling to the side, sometimes that's, uh, that's what we're pulled to do or told to do, you know, pull to the side in the direction, pull downstream. So uh, you because, don't yank it yeah, out of the, its the mouth? The fish is facing up. And, and that makes sense if, you're, uh, if your fly, in other words, your strike indicator that was right in front of you or if it hasn't reached you. But once it gets past you a ways, uh, you get this surface tension, and there, there's no way that you can you can yank it to the soil. You, you can, but it'll take forever for anything to happen on the other end. So point is, just lift up your line, and it's amazing. When the line gets off the water, it's like your strike indicator just lurches at you. So, yeah, that, that was kind of the point of the article. Yeah, that was a good piece. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point by David. Yeah, it is. Well, that's going to do it for today. Tell us about some interesting people you've met while fly fishing. What was it about them that intrigued you or made you enjoy them? Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. Who are some of the interesting folks you've met on your fly fishing adventures? On the river, in fly shops, or wherever. You can find Two Guys in a River on all the social platforms, and we'd love for you to make comments and post your thoughts and we'll respond as quickly as we can. We also publish a new episode on our website each week, and we often receive comments from you about how to promote the podcast, and all you have to do is simply refer the podcast. We'd also love for you to purchase our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of List, Life is Short, Catch More Fish. We think it'd make a great stocking stuffer as the holidays approach. That's right. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Mm-hmm.